Welcome to Veterinary Advice, Animal News, and Views, the show dedicated to pets and the people who love them. Brought to you by DrRogerHolisticVet.com, the place for safe and effective natural healing for dogs and cats. Now, here's your host, practicing veterinarian, Dr. Roger Welton. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Veterinary Advice, Animal News and Views. I'm your host, practicing veterinarian, Roger Welton, coming to you in our pre-recorded format again tonight. We still haven't returned to the live format. Things have been just too hectic as of late. However, we are still not lacking for audience participation, still getting email participation. Tonight is no different. We have an email sent in from Peggy of Bellevue, Nebraska. We're going to get to that in just a moment. It's an excellent email and an ever so relevant topic. And Peggy, we'll get to your email in just a moment. Tonight's topic is five ways to help prevent cancer in dogs and cats. Very important topic. There is an increasing percentage of of pets that are developing cancer. Cancer is more common in dogs and cats than it is in people. The Morris Foundation for Animals published a study that indicated that one in two cats and dogs will have or develop cancer in their lifetime. One in four will die of the disease. Those are remarkable, remarkable statistics. And what we want to do is find methods, find strategies to make that reality less of a reality. We want to help prevent cancer. And we're going to talk about how we can do that by taking some five very simple steps. Before we jump into that topic, though, let's address Peggy's email. This is what she wrote to us. My husband and I are the parents to adoption that both of us believe died due to poisoning from wagon train jerky treats, now known to contain contaminated China manufactured meat, which she absolutely loved. Even though she was elderly at 18 years old, she had been given a clean bill of health from her senior exam just a few months prior to my husband and I asking to give her relief with euthanasia. She took ill on a Friday. Only two days later, she was urinating in the house and would only move from her bed to the water bowl, even even though stumbling from side to side. On day three, she wouldn't even move from her bed. On day four, we asked our vet to ease her suffering with euthanasia. Fast forward to a couple of days ago when I see an advertisement for a large chain pet store for a chicken jerky that is claimed to be made exclusively from, quote, farm-raised chicken in the USA, end quote. The commercial is from Petco for blue buffalo chicken or buffalo blue chicken jerky if you choose to know who is paying for this commercial. They also claim, quote, not made in China. Anyone who has done any type of research about dangerous jerky treats knows that some USA companies say they are made in the USA, but they are still purchasing meat from China, meaning it doesn't mean anything that it's processed in the USA. Having said all of this, how do I know that I can trust a company saying they are making farm-raised in the USA and not made in China treats? Is there any way for me to research that they are truthfully saying what they are saying on their packaging. Thanks for your reply, Peggy. And again, Peggy's from Bellevue, Nebraska. So this is a very important topic. So, I mean, I think given that we had an 18-year-old dachshund, and please, please, my deepest condolences, that's a long time to have a dog. I know how loving and full of personality dachshunds are, and Peggy, first and foremost, deepest condolences. I am very sorry for your loss. Obviously, it must have affected you deeply. Uh, before I comment on that, though, you know, I, I, want, I don't want to come off insensitive at all 
but I don't know if we can necessarily necessarily correlate, you know, the the, the death to the the, the jerky treats. Um, it sounds to me like, based on what what transpired here, there was a neurological problem. Neurological problems can be inflammatory. They could be infectious. They can be neoplastic, meaning cancer of the brain. Um, the stumbling and the inability to get up uh, it doesn't necessarily quite jive with the more common jerky treat syndromes we see. Now, you make a very good point that jerky treats are and have been, are currently, and will continue to be a problem because they cause a number of different illnesses or, let's say, set of illnesses in dogs and have led to death in hundreds of dogs. They've made thousands of dogs sick to date. Hundreds have become seriously ill. We have not yet identified exactly what it is that's causing it, but it is definitively traced to jerky treats. I'm not saying your dog was not affected by the jerky treat. That she she very well could have been, but we just don't know that for sure. But nonetheless, you, you raise a very good point that we know that the Chinese, unfortunately, are are not very big on consumer protection. They have been guilty of allowing lead on the paint of baby toys. They have uh, they were involved in food ingredients that ended up in pet foods that caused a rash of kidney failure in, I believe it was around like 2007 when that occurred. And let's just face it, we can't, we can't as consumers, trust products that come from China, although, although we are among their biggest consumers when it comes down to it. You purchase anything from Walmart, it most likely came from China, for example. But when it comes to our foods, you know, a TV or an iPad is one thing, and I have a lot of opinions on that, but we're not going to go there. This is a pet show. But, you know, <clears throat> consumption is another. You know, things that we're, we're relying on for nutrition and sustenance. Certainly treats. Uh, now, the, the question, and I took a little while to answer this <clears throat> because I did really want to research it pr- uh, properly. You know, how do we really know where the stuff is coming from? Because what happens is these unethical pet food uh, manufacturers, treat manufacturers, and, and, and I, will go, I will go as far as to say is large retail pet stores that continue to carry this garbage, you know, they they find ways, tricky ways of tricking you into buying their product at a huge risk to your pet. And they're they're doing they're 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 using tricky things like made in the USA. Well yes, technically a treat that's processed and put together in California, let's say, is made in the USA, but it's but the the the, the raw ingredients or some of the raw ingredients are coming from China, and they disguise that by putting these horrible labels on there. So, you know, first and foremost, as far as Peggy's question is, how do you know the difference? Well, you can't, <laughs> and, and that's what I've really found out in my research is, you know, the, the, there there's ways, tricky ways around technically complying with not false advertising but still hiding a, a truth behind a product. And the truth behind these products is pretty much almost all of them have ingredients from, from China. And they go out of their way to hide that. And it's it's completely deplorable, but that's just that's just the situation we're in and that's the reality of it. And no one's going to do anything about it. So you have to advocate for yourselves and advocate for your pets. So to answer Peggy's question, the, the best you can do is, you know, these products all have hotlines. You can look on the back and find an 800 number that you can call and basically, all you can do while you're while you're in the pet store and you're considering buying something, 
my advice to you is just avoid jerky treats across the board. Jerky treats across the board. And that includes the fruit ones because the fruit ones have been equally as implicated as the meat ones. So I don't care what it is. If it's in a jerky format, a jerky texture, don't buy it. So, you know, that's my advice is don't buy jerky anything. But number two, if if, if in doubt about a food, if in doubt about, you know, a a non-jerky treat even, and you want to know whether or not there's ingredients coming from China... All you got to do is call because they, they can't outright lie to you. You call the hotline and say, hey, I want to know if any of the raw ingredients that go into these to this product come from China. They, by law, cannot lie to you. They'll have to tell you the truth. So that's my advice. Call the hotline. If there is not a hotline, don't buy the product. Um, and that's that's the best way you can discern. Excellent question. Excellent topic. I actually did a whole show on jerky treats. I'd go back and take a listen to it because that situation is, you know, is our own FDA selling us out. It is our retail pet stores that claim to be this happy place to get whatever you need for your pets. Where we just love your pets, but we'll sell products knowingly killing that knowingly kill them or make them sick or kill them. You know, it's just it's just awful across the board, and it's very sad for me to to really um you know sit back and put perspective on it. But tonight we're going to talk about cancer prevention. So cancer is a very it's a very complex disease. I mean, I think a lot of what determines whether or not People get cancer, we've learned, is very genetic. And the same really applies to dogs and cats. So, of course, you know, there are genetic links to these things. We see a higher percentage of cancer in purebred animals versus our non-purebred animals, the mutts of the world. But, of course, we see it in them too, but maybe not as frequently. But the fact that we see certain cancers that are more prevalent in certain breeds than others tells us that there's, there's strong genetic links. However, we don't leave ourselves to be completely at the mercy of our genetics. And we should certainly not do the same for our pets. Why tempt fate? Why not take as much out of the equation that can contribute to cancer as we possibly can and give our pets the best opportunity to live their lives cancer-free or or prevent cancer to the best of our ability? A lot of it can be very simple lifestyle measures that you can take. And I'm going to outline five of them fairly quickly tonight. It's not a very long episode. So this one's pretty easy. Let's start with a yearly physical examination and, and, and regular owner assessments. And I'll tell, tell you what I mean by that. So your, your pet should be examined once a year. Um, the ideal time to do that, of course, is for the yearly visit where we want to do heartworm, heartworm screening for dogs as well, stool analysis for both dogs and cats. And we want to just give them a good physical examination. Not a week goes by that I do not find a serious life-threatening disease on a routine examination. Uh, just last week, I I was doing a yearly on a dog and discovered that it had a bowling ball-sized spleen, a huge mass on its spleen that turned out to be a splenic hematoma. That dog would have died had it not had its yearly examination because that hematoma might have ruptured. Unbeknownst to the owner, doggy would have fallen asleep one day and not woken up. You know, so things like that. That's just one example won't get into that too much, but but physical examination is very, very important. But, you know, the only, generally speaking, the veterinarian is going to get his hands on your pet for throughout the course of most of its life once a year. And in the interim, in the process, what we're left with is <clears throat> a lot of time in between and, and a lot can go wrong because always bear in mind that one year of a pet's life is equivalent to five to seven years of our life. And certainly we know a lot of things can go wrong in the span of five to seven years with regard to our own personal health. 
Uh, so we have to look at it that from that perspective with our pets. <clears throat> so what you want to do is, of course, you're not a you know a licensed veterinarian or even a, a, a certified or licensed veterinary technician, but it doesn't mean you can't do regular assessments of your pet, maybe on a monthly basis or maybe when they're older, a weekly basis. Just give them a good once over, look them over, kind of feel around for unusual lumps, check their skin. You can run your thumbs through their hair against the grain, so you can sort of look for little tumors that might be you know, emanating from the skin that are embedded in the hair coat and have a good look. Anything unusual, any weird growths, you know, anything out of the ordinary, anything that concerns you, you know, schedule a visit, have it checked out. Never ha- it never hurts to have something checked out. Look at the eyes. Do the, 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 the pupils look normal? Do the irises look normal? Do the whites of the eyes look normal? Do the eyes track normally? Uh, look, at, look, at, look at the teeth. Is there evidence of any masses within the gums? We see a lot of tumors in the mouth of, of dogs and cats. Uh, check for periodontal disease. Periodontal disease can directly lead to oral cancer. So, you know, look for these things. Periodontal, periodontal disease can, can develop within a matter of months, uh, certainly. So even though, even if your dog is being examined on a yearly basis and your vet maybe didn't comment on the teeth, it doesn't mean that six months down the road that's going to be the same case. So take a good look at those teeth. Look at the look at the feet. Look between the webbing and the feet. That's where things can commonly start to grow and go under the radar. All right. So yearly examination, early detection, and and owner just being vigilant and, and doing your own assessments. Be 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 your own pet's advocate. The other thing that's important. So this is point number two. This is method number two to help prevent cancer. Is um, avoid over vaccinating. Uh, you know they're. Immunizations are extremely important, and I, I'm, I'm extremely against people that opt to not immunize their pets at all. I think that's completely wrong. I think it's just as wrong for people who do it with their children because, you know, I'm not going to get into that. That's a whole other topic, but, but it, it's wrong. Um, what happens when we completely negate immunization, We a, a lot of the diseases that are very uncommon and have decreased in frequency, suddenly start popping up again. Distemper, canine distemper, canine parvo. Certainly we know rabies is a human health risk um, and, and, and could, could hurt our own families and, and other people. And, uh, you know, we can't mess around with that. And that's actually against the law in any state that I'm aware of to not immunize your pet for rabies. With uh, cats, there's panleukopenia. There is uh, feline leukemia. These are diseases that are very preventable but very deadly once they contract them. So I'm not saying omit vaccination, but I'm saying don't over-vaccinate nor allow a veterinarian to over-vaccinate. So, you know, there's always ongoing reform with vaccinations. Research is ongoing. Vaccine technology gets better through the years. In the early 2000s, the the vaccine reform movement really began in full force, and that's about just when I graduated veterinary school. And we what we discovered was through research, the diseases like distemper, hepatitis, and uh, Parvo were actually, they were being done yearly, and realistically, we had protection lasting three years and even in some cases longer when we really uh, looked at the research, looked at the, the vaccine antibody titers that were generated. And so we changed a lot of the protocols to every three years. And the other thing we did was we looked, looked and realized, okay, not every pet is necessarily susceptible to all these diseases. You have a pet uh, here in Florida, for example, where in my area of Florida, I think I've seen two, two cases of Lyme disease, two verified cases of Lyme disease in 12 years of practice. Should I be vaccinating my pets for Lyme disease? Absolutely not. But 
where I used to work in New York, I diagnosed five to seven new cases of Lyme disease a month. Absolutely, I should be vaccinating for Lyme disease. Um, if you live in a desert climate where there is very little fresh standing water around and there's not many squirrels around that are the known transmitters of those two factors, squirrels and fresh standing water. Those are the, 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 the known predisposing factors for the predominance of leptospirosis, a very dangerous bacterial disease. See a lot of it here in Florida. We see a lot of it, you know, in, you know, most, most temperate areas, subtropical areas, anywhere where there's fresh standing water and or lots of squirrels. It's transmitted through the urine of squirrel urine. Yet, you know, if you live in Arizona, you know, where there's, should you necessarily be vaccinating for leptospirosis? I don't exactly know the answer to that because I don't know. I, while I know Arizona is quite dry, I'm not familiar with the squirrel population. So I just kind of threw that out as an arbitrary example. But the bottom line is this. Not all diseases are prevalent in, in certain areas, and there are vaccines that are pandemic, meaning they're everywhere. And so we're going to want to vaccinate for those, but many of those diseases, you can, you can back up the vaccination frequency to every three years. And you, you want a, a veterinarian who's following what are called AHA protocols. So AHA is the American Animal Hospital Association. It has the higher standard, highest standards of medicine and it's voluntary participation for hospitals to become AHA accredited. And it's a whole rigorous process of, you know, following the guidelines. And my hospital just recently became AHA accredited. And they, they just create this high standard. And, and so they are going to be up to speed on all the latest vaccine protocols, the necessity of vaccination, risk-associated vaccination, because we don't want to over-vaccinate. One of the biggest offenders of over-vaccinating is these these discount vaccine clinics that are popping up all over the place. So you got the ones that are pulling up in vans to um, to pharmacies. You know, there's the the chain pharmacies have you know pet shots for ten bucks or whatever, and and um, you know they they they're they're taking advantage of legal loopholes that exist in a lot of states that don't require a physical examination from a veterinarian to actually administer vaccines. They can just not even look at your pet and just plug them with every vaccine known to man. So, you know, these these, these types of veterinarians, um, I don't like them. <laughs> I'm not going to sugarcoat that. Um, <clears throat> I think they're completely bastardizing the, the the profession. They're not good for the profession. They're not good for pets. They're not good for pet health. The on, Their only source of income and revenue is vaccination. So they're going to vaccinate your pet for everything, whether it's at risk or not. And in a lot of cases... Vaccines like this temper parvo hepatitis, rabies, that have proven efficacy three years and beyond, they're going to still plug your pet with that every year because they want to make that 10 bucks on that vaccine because that's the only way they're going to make revenue. So avoid those, okay? Avoid those discount vaccine places. Avoid, you know, because there's whole clinics that are coming up that, you know, they exist solely to just stick vaccines all day long and, and crank out spay neuters. That's all they do. And now there's these mobile ones doing it. Just avoid them, folks. It, you know, honestly, they're not doing right by your pets. They don't really care about the well-being of your pets. They All they care about is selling vaccines, cranking out as many spay-neuters as they can, and, you know, to heck with whatever the aftermath is. Um, so what does over-vaccinating create? Well, it overstimulates the immune system. While immunizations are essential, they need we need to be judicial about them. We need to vaccinate for only the ones that a pet is at risk at when it comes to geography and when it comes to overall risk. We, if there's a vaccine that only needs to be given every three years, we give it every three years. And 
there are veterinarians, general veterinarians and general practices that can be just as guilty as these discount vaccine places that I discuss and that, you know, they don't necessarily get a free pass. So my suggestion would be to ask any veterinarian you see, do you follow AHA vaccine protocols? Do you do lifestyle and risk-specific individual vaccine protocols for individual pets? Very important for you to ask the question. Overvaccinating can predispose to cancer. Let's talk about diet. That's our next parameter. Um, you know, just like with us, we should be eating whole foods. Pets should be being fed whole foods. Now, of course, you know, we want, we like to have the ability to feed them a kibble form for the, the dental health benefits, and you could still do that to, and still be feeding whole foods to a certain degree, okay? I mean, ideally, if you have the budget and the time and the schedule, if you could prepare home diets and you do your proper research, you talk to your veterinarian or you find good, reliable sources as to the nutrient breakdown and what to feed, lean protein, vegetables, uh, avoiding fillers like grains, all of the all of these things, you know, the things that we see in a lot of the commercial pet foods um, are just not good. You know, they the fact that you know, and I, I've I've done I've done some some media work in the past, um, kind of talking down the whole grains are the grains are the enemy, grains are evil. Um, that whole concept being overblown and I still do believe it's overblown but you know ideally let's face it we shouldn't really be eating grains we're not designed for it and they cause issues it, it, it's no different with with dogs and cats and, and so while it makes diets more economical um, and it, it makes them more palatable at the same time is it ideal no it's not ideal so you know if you're if, if there's going to be grains involved let's make them whole grains so at least we're looking at whole food versus processed refined grains uh, if you can avoid grains and can afford that level of food go for it uh, you know, let's have our pets derive their vegetable and fiber 100% from vegetables like they were meant to. Let's feed, you know, lean protein in, in, in high concentrations because dogs and cats are meant to have a higher level of protein than people are. Um, you know, the other thing about foods is so many of them, and it's, it's really, really, really dismaying to know this, but this is the God honest truth. I can't sugarcoat this. The majority of commercial diets out there and even some like you know higher end diets that we consider in the industry synonymous with good quality a lot of them fall into a category of what we call quote unquote feed grade and what feed grade refers to is the standard of nutrient quality the standard of allowable toxins in the food is not on par of that with people and we know how poor it is and has been to some degree with regard to people. Well, imagine having even looser standards for, for pet food. So things like arsenic are allowed to assert, you know, to certain concentration in our human foods. They're allowed, that's allowed to a higher concentration in pet foods. And that's just one of many toxins out there. Um, they also feed grade type foods also make use of unwholesome byproducts. So there's good byproduct out there. And I, I don't want to make a blanket statement that all byproduct is bad. Uh, some byproduct like organ meat is good. Organ is loaded with nutrients. And, you know, a lot of us don't want to eat brain, heart, or liver, or kidneys. However, these, you know, to, to, to animals, they don't care. They, they, they taste just fine to them, and they're also wonderful nutrient sources. When I say, when I say not poor quality byproduct, I'm referring to hoof, hair, and skin. You know, that's, that's a whole different ballgame. So feed-grade foods sometimes tend to have these things in them, and that's not, it's not good. So what you want to do is do your research. Make sure there's, there's, if there's byproduct, you know, f make sure that we're not looking at, you know, poor-quality byproduct. We want to make sure that the, 
We're not looking at a feed grade type food. And these diets are out there. And if you can do a home a home prepared diet, hey, more power to you. And I would say that's your best way to go. Honestly, you know, just raw whole foods, go for it. Just learn how to do it. Find somebody who's knowledgeable in doing home prepared diets and still having a you know, offering the pet a well-rounded nutrition. But whole foods are very, very important. That's how I try to live my own life for myself. That's how I try to do it for my pets, and that's how I try to do it for my children. So let's uh, let's move on to the next. We're at number four here of lifestyle um, cancer prevention. Maintain a lean body condition. Now, there is a direct link to obesity in people and the incidence of cancer. Same link exists to pets. Obesity stresses body systems. It stresses organs. It stresses the musculoskeletal system. It is not a good thing. The epidemic of obesity in dogs and cats is almost as bad, if not worse, than it is in people. We have 50% or more of pets that are considered obese, and for no good reason. It's very simple, folks. If your pet is obese, it's eating more calories than it's expending. There's, it can't be any, any simpler than that. And, you know, and people will say to me all the time, I say, you know, your pet's really overweight. I can't understand why. I don't feed him that much. Well, you're feeding him more than he's burning. So that's the, end, the long and the short of it. It's time for a weight loss diet. It's time for portion control. It's time the household cooperates and we're not predisposing the pet to not just cancer, but all kinds of secondary diseases that arise from obesity, that shorten the life, that reduce quality. If you are truly not in denial and you are truly adhering to a, a weight control regimen, you're feeding small amounts, you're feeding a weight control, good quality diet, well, you know, perhaps there could be some underlying factor that, you know, is beyond just caloric intake. You know, maybe maybe there's some underlying disease. There are a few diseases that can predispose to obesity. So have your lab, your veterinarian run some lab testing to just rule that out because, you know, there's only just a very small handful of conditions that can predispose to obesity. Beyond that, though, folks, it's very simple. Pet is obese because it takes in more calories than it burns. So obesity, avoid that. And then our last thing is let's reduce exposure to toxins. I mean, we expose ourselves and our pets to any number of toxins every day. Cleaning products, insecticides, lawn care products, fertilizers, all kinds of things. How about the water that we drink, the water that we feed our pets? Reduce exposure to toxins. Many toxins out there, and these are you know everyday toxins you can just purchase and use as a cleaning product or spray to kill the wasp's nest in the corner of your house or uh, toxins that exist in the water, toxins you may be spraying on your lawn. A lot of these have carcinogenic properties. A carcinogen is any substance that that, that can lead to a predisposition to cancer that increases the rate of cancer. Carcinogen. And there is a known carcinogen. There are certain herbicides, so, you know, like weed control products that are directly linked to bladder cancer in dogs. So, you know, be cognizant of these things and realize that you want to limit toxin exposure. And it should be not just for your pets, for everybody, for your children, for yourself. Find cleaning products that are organic, that are not carcinogenic. My wife uh, found a wonderful product to clean the floor. It smells like peppermint and it's it's um, it's bacteria static. It is 
very fresh smelling. It cleans very well. It picks up stains. It freshens the home. It's not toxic. It's organic and it's wonderful. There is a, a company, I don't know if they're uh, nationwide, but they're, they're statewide here in Florida called Massey. They'll come in and do all kinds of exterminating if you have bug problems. Uh, they'll do your property and they will do your home and it's all organic. It's not cheap, but it's all organic. None of it's carcinogenic. None of it's toxic. You know, Utilize things like this minimize using chemicals, minimize exposure to chemicals. Also watch where you may walk your dog. Um, you, you know, just because your lawn may be uh, to- toxin free doesn't mean your neighbors is watch where they drink water from. You don't want them drinking puddles. You don't want them drinking out of lakes. Lakes are very contaminated by all the runoff of our fertilizers and what all the other crap that we put in our, in our lawns to make them beautiful. Um, you know, be cognizant of where you're walking your dog. When it comes to cats, don't let them outside of your property. Don't let, you know, keep them in a screened enclosure. Keep them indoor cats. Uh, they're, they're safer for a number of reasons, but, you know, the biggest one is they're not drinking water from a shady place. They're not drinking an antifreeze puddle that might have accumulated under under a, uh, a car. So toxin reduction. Um, so my next episode, I'm going to be talking about some nutrient or some some uh, nutritional supplements that we can also consider to take um, not just cancer prevention lifestyle um, or engage in a cancer prevention lifestyle, but also be even more proactive and provide nutrients that can be cancer preventing. And we're going to talk about that in the next upcoming episode. So strategies, nutritional strategies that we can apply. So let's start with these lifestyle strategies. Very simple to implement them. And then the next time we get together, I'll be talking about some supplements, direct supplements that you can uh, offer your pets that further reduce their incidence of cancer. Thank you very much for listening this evening. I guess the show ran a little bit longer than I expected. I always end up talking more than I had intended. And sorry if I got a little too uh, running on here, but uh, I'm very passionate about this topic because I see far too much cancer in practice and I want to see a reduction in it. Thank you very much for joining me this evening, for caring about what I have to say, and I will talk to you next time. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.